Thanks for listening to the Mercy Church Podcast. If you're in the area, we want to invite you to join us the last weekend in March as we celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Good Friday services will be at 6 p.m. on Friday evening. And then on Sunday morning, we invite you to join us for a time of worship, a message, and baptisms. Bring your friends, your family, and if you feel so led, invite your coworker, cashier, or barista to join you. Services will be held at regular service times at all campuses. To learn more, visit mercycharlotte.com slash events. Again, that's mercycharlotte.com slash events. All right, good morning, Mercy family. Good morning. Yeah. All right. Hey, uh, good morning to our Providence Road family. I'm up here with our Northeast family this morning, and I'm excited to be with you guys. Yeah. That's right. Come on. Um, Listen, I want to say a special uh, uh, good morning and a we love you on behalf of Mercy Church to our college students here at Mercy Church. We love you guys. We know you're in the thick of exams. Yeah, that's right. We love them. Listen, I know you're in the you're heading into or in the thick of exams, and um, it's going to be okay. All right, uh, we got students at UNC Charlotte, at Wingate, at Queens, CPCC, and we are um, we're a better church with you here, and we will be praying for you as uh, many of you will go home to your families. You are going home with the love and hope of Christ, and we believe God could have a work even to do among you as you go home over these next few weeks with your family. Uh, we love you, and we'll be glad when you are back. Uh, I also want to say this past week we opened up our Christmas missions offering. This is our annual offering that the Mercy family gives together towards the advancement of the gospel here in Charlotte and around the world. 100% of it goes directly to our partners. None of it stays with us. And I just love how simple and powerful this little step is of following Jesus. Uh, Take my family, for example. It allows Courtney and I to clearly disciple our family to say our best gift at Christmas is going to go to God's mission of advancing the gospel here in Charlotte and around the world. And by giving it together with others in the Mercy family, we're able to say to like our community partners and our international partners, man, look, Mercy Church is for you. We love you. We believe what you're doing is a worthy cause, and we are with you. Uh, there's three organizations that we're supporting locally through this. You'll see them in your Advent book. One of them, uh, all of them, are really at the tip of the spear and the front lines when it comes to serving children in need in our community. One of them is called Freedom Within Walls. They've been around since 2009. Pastor James Scott over in West Charlotte leads this ministry. They serve uh, healthy meals and snacks to over 5,000 kids in our area who are in need. Uh, We were talking Friday, and I want to read you what he said to the Mercy family. He said, thank you so much for choosing to partner with Freedom Within Walls. We're honored. We are extremely excited about this partnership because through this effort, we'll be able to feed more children in Charlotte when food insecurity is prevalent. Working to eradicate childhood hunger also assists with positioning underserved children to become better scholars. And it's through partnerships from community members like you, we're going to continue to execute wraparound services to equip the disenfranchised in our community with tools that can help them break through barriers and achieve freedom. Gratefully, his in Christ, the Freedom Within Walls family. Y'all, I love that we get to join in what God is already doing here in our community. So I hope you'll join us in giving to that. Uh, With that said, let's hop into our message for today. I want you to go to the Old Testament book of Isaiah. We're going to continue our Advent series. And what I think makes Isaiah's message so powerful is that there are like these two different tones that are very much contrasting happening at the same time. He gets super gloomy 
a lot, about Israel's impending destruction because of their sin and their rejection of God, right? But then he powerfully talks about the hope God offers these same sinners, the hope in the form of a savior God is going to send his people. And today in chapter 35, so we're going to go over to chapter 35 of Isaiah, he's going to give the people of God two names that have gripped me all week in studying this. He's going to call them the ransomed and redeemed. See, Isaiah 35 is going to tell us our story. We are story-driven creatures. God has created us, wired us up that way. And it's a beautiful passage. It picks up some of what we saw in Isaiah 11 last week, talking about our future, the hope that it offers. It's incredible, but it is for a specific group of people. Isaiah is going to talk about this road to a place called Zion, God's holy city. This is how Isaiah speaks of heaven, of the setting for God's people to spend all eternity with God. And he talks about who is it that's going to walk on that road home to Zion. I want to show you the last, the last half of verse 9, the first part of verse 10 as a way of setting up our time today. He says, the redeemed will walk on it and the ransomed of the Lord will return. The ransomed and redeemed. I can think of no more powerful and compelling name for the people of God than this. These two words tell us our story. So today is it's going to be pretty simple in terms of structure for this message and hopefully filled to the brim and overflowing with encouragement for you. My goal in this sermon is to show you your story, my story as Isaiah tells it. Three simple parts. We're going to start with your ransomed and redeemed identity, then your glorious eternity, and finally your present assignment. Or more simply put, who you are, where you're going, and what you're called to do in the meantime. Who you are, where you're going, what you're called to do in the meantime. What could be more important for us to get clear on? Identity, future, and purpose. Those are the three sacred things most people in our world want to know about. Identity, future, and purpose. And if we can get a good handle around that this morning, y'all, that's a good Sunday, all right? That's a good day at the church house, what my grandfather would say it, okay? Let's start with identity. Put that verse back up there. The redeemed will walk on it and the ransomed of the Lord will return. Our identity in Christ, plain and simple, is ransomed and redeemed. Now, these are not two different groups. In this passage and throughout the Bible, these two terms are used to describe the same people. There's a powerful story in these two terms. The people of God who are won back to God through his Savior Son, Jesus Christ. The people who are returning to God's dwelling place to spend glorious eternity with him are people who have been ransomed and redeemed. These words are used interchangeably for the most part, but there is a nuance to them. Ransom, of course, is talking about being bought back, but redeemed also carries a connotation of being made whole. In Christ, you are ransomed. I mean, that is the label for someone who has gone through a pretty violent experience. You belonged at one time to God your Father, but you were taken. A more accurate statement is you and I betrayed God and we ran away. And in our sin, we served ourselves instead of God. Little did we know that the price of that sin is death and eternity apart from God. Ephesians 2.1 says we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Even though we are here alive, because of our sin, we are positionally dead. Separated forever from God behind the bars of the gates of hell. 
And in that position, we're helpless. We are unable to save ourselves. This is the thing about someone who is ransomed. They are in a situation where they are unable to be set free from their evil captors. They can't rescue themselves. And the captor demands payment or the one that they captured will be put to death. There's a reason this passage and the rest of scripture gives us this identity of ransomed and tells us live out of your identity as a ransomed person. First Corinthians 6.20, for example, you were bought with a price. So glorify God with your body, right? Our ransomed reality is that it costs God something to rescue us from our self-inflicted condemnation. And that's there to motivate how we lived and how we live now. Uh, in 1 Corinthians, Paul's talking about what you do with your body. He's talking about sexual morality. And he says, the reason that you're to obey God when it comes to your sexual ethic is because you were ransomed. You were bought with the price. He always goes back to our identity. How were we ransomed? Who paid the price? 1 John 2. He himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but for those of the whole world. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world in this way, he gave his one and only son, so that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. The hope of eternity that Isaiah 35 is going to overflow with. I'm going to show you in a minute. But I want you to hear now, it wasn't free. It wasn't free. You don't just get heaven because you lived on earth. And there is a shallow form of spirituality that kind of bleeds into the church sometimes that just assumes you get heaven because you were here on earth. It's not an automatic next step. Justice had to be carried out for our sin. And in the great love of God for you and me, he sent his son to pay for, to atone for, to be a ransom payment for us, to redeem you. And so when we celebrate Christmas, I want you to kind of get this in your mind's eye. We don't just look down in the manger and see a child. I see my ransom payment in the manger. And I stand there doomed unless God sends a sinless savior who can die in my place. That leads me to fall on my knees in humility. I don't deserve this. It's not fair. The child doesn't deserve what's coming to him either. But God says, this is the way it will be. He's my ransom payment. And when I believe that, his spirit comes into my life and I experience the redeeming power of my freedom. If I'll trust him and follow his word by the power of his spirit, I'll begin to experience some of that redemption, some of that wholeness of the soul that a redeemed son or daughter experiences. So my question for you, maybe my call to you this Christmas is to experience Christmas, approach Christmas as one who is ransomed and redeemed. The wage of your sin is death, but the free gift of God, Romans 6, 23. That's what Christmas is. It's just a gift. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Why do I major here on this this morning? Because identity is a very big word in our age right now. What or who you identify as is a conversation that hasn't really been a part of our society until the last 10 years or so. And for the most part, the world around us, those who don't know Christ, are simply to kind of like grasping for meaning in that conversation. As Michael W. Smith would put it, they're trying to find my place in this world. Y'all remember that song? If you don't know it, that just dates me just a little bit. But look, this search actually isn't new. It's new language on a search that's been going on as long as humans have been around. 
And I think it's a wonderful opportunity for Christians to help people get to know the hope of Jesus because there's great humility in saying, who do I identify as? It's just a sinner who's ransomed and redeemed by Jesus. Much of the identity conversation is based around feelings and desires. What I feel or desire is the authority that determines who I am. Well, the problem is feelings and desires are unreliable authorities. Very intense one time, cold the next, one direction, one day they go one way, another the next, and if I am my desires, then I will forever be a small boat tossed about by the unpredictable winds of those desires. And into that, the Christian says, yes, me too, I have those desires and feelings, they go all over the place. And so I've found something more certain to stake who I am on, something for sinners like you and me. I'm ransomed and redeemed by Jesus, and I found joy in that. That's who I am, ransomed and redeemed. That's my story, my past, present, and future. And the promise for the ransomed and redeemed is a glorious future. That's the hope I'm standing on. It's what the Christian faith is built on. All throughout the scriptures, you see him keep talking about one day, that day, the day. We ransomed and redeemed sinners will be with God in heaven. All of us are hoping in something. Y'all know this, all of us are hoping in something. And Christmas just kind of, I think that, that feeling comes up to the surface, but the, it's a reality underneath it that's true. All of us are hoping in something. Even atheists themselves are hoping in something. The way I heard it put this week is that when it comes to Christmas, Christians believe in the miracle of the virgin birth. Atheists believe in the miracle of the virgin universe. Pick your miracle. But either way, you're believing in something. Mine comes with the promise of heaven, and I want to tell you about it. It's part two of our sermon. Who we are, ransomed and redeemed, where we're going. Y'all, heaven is our glorious eternity. And really what happens here in Isaiah 35 is he starts painting a picture. He doesn't give you like three tips for your best eternity now or something like that, okay? He paints a picture. And the idea there, just like any good artist, It's to fill your heart with hope of the day to come. So I want you to begin to listen to the picture unfold. He's going to start with all of nature, and he's going to work his way to your very heart. He says, the wilderness and dry land will be glad. The desert will rejoice and blossom like a wildflower. It'll blossom abundantly and will also rejoice with with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The splendor of Carmel and Sharon, they will see the glory of the Lord. The splendor of our God. Isaiah is saying nature will be made whole. The wilderness and the dry land, that's a way of describing earth here and now. The desert and this life apart from God, there's also a metaphor he's building in there. This is also our lives now, a desert. And into that wasteland, the Lord speaks the hope of an eternal spring. In fact, this imagery picks up the second half of verses six and into seven. He says, water will gush in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The parched ground will become a pool. The thirsty land will become springs. In the haunt of jackals, in their lairs, there will be grass, reeds, and papyrus. Y'all, there's no way for me to do this justice. You gotta try and picture it. It's God renewing nature. (laughs) The dry and desolate land where jackals prey will become an oasis. The desert will be filled with life. Y'all, scripture actually has a good bit to say about God renewing nature as a part of heaven. I think maybe it's because we live indoors a lot. 
These kinds of passages can just kind of miss us a little bit. I have no problem with us living indoors. I'm good with that, okay? Not living in nature all the time, but you know, you start to think about what nature actually is and how it is beautiful to look at. God created it, but also it can be dangerous. It can be frustrating to be out in a lot. I mean, I think about this past week or week and a half ago, my family went and got a Christmas tree. They get the boys to help me get it down and get it into the house. And one of them complains that he got sap on his hands. And I'm like, the one time a year we bring nature inside, we're complaining about it, right? It attacked us. What's the reality? Nature is beautiful but brutal. A desert that he's talking about, if you get caught in the middle of a desert, you are dead. You don't win, okay? In fact, just to ensure good research for this sermon, that Michael W. Smith song for some reason came into my head, so I thought, I need to go look this thing up, make sure I have the right lyrics and everything, and of course, watch the music video, just to ensure I know what's going on, all right? And it is the most gloriously bad 1990 video, music video that you can watch, okay? You got Michael W. Smith out in the desert playing a piano. He's in the desert. I was like, thank you, Lord, you have given me an illustration for this passage. He's out in the desert playing a piano, wearing denim, of course, all right? And then there's a cutaway to this woman who's walking around in the same mom jeans a lot of y'all are wearing today that they wore, she's wearing in 1990, right? And she's got no shoes on and she's walking around contemplating her life and always running her hand through her hair, okay? And I'm like, this is not reality. If you were actually in this desert, the two of you would be dead. And a bunch of jackals would be chomping on that nasty mullet Michael W. Smith has got that he's rocking in this, all right? I don't know where your place is. It ain't alone in the desert. You'd be dead. What God is saying, though, is there's a day coming where the wilderness, that if we spend a few days in it without a whole lot of training, we'll be eaten alive by it, that wilderness will instead be the canvas on which we will see and experience the glory of the Lord. Y'all, I love the outdoors, but there's nothing like what is coming for us. The desert will be a, desert will be a lush landscape. Dangerous places will be replaced by tranquil dens. There won't be any, oh, watch out. We're at the Grand Canyon. Be careful. Don't jump off. None of that kind of stuff, right? It'll just be tranquil dens. Go and play. And that's meant to encourage you and I as we walk through the wilderness of this life that is difficult, that this is not forever. Joy pervades Isaiah 35 because the redeemed creation will experience something that God will also do, not just out there, but he'll do to us. Look at verse five. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute will sing for joy. Look at who we are. Blind, deaf, lame, and mute. Look at what God gives us. Sight, sound, agility, and a joyful song. The ransomed and redeemed are made whole. And again, if none of these apply to you physically right now, they could just move past you. You got to appreciate how powerful this scene is. There's a uh, a woman named Joni Erickson Tata. I don't know if you know the name. She was paralyzed at 17 years old in a car accident. She has since survived cancer twice. 
She founded the Joni and Friends Disability Center. It's a Christ-centered ministry to care for people with disabilities, but also it's to train churches to do the same. She said in an interview just a couple of years ago, 2019, she said the first thing she's going to do in heaven with her new glorified body is drop to her knees and offer a sacrifice of, she called it paralyzed praise to Jesus for his faithfulness to her while here on earth. She's going to be made whole. I told her, we got a a guy in our church, told him on Friday when I was uh, thinking through this, his name's Dan. He's paralyzed through, he was paralyzed through an accident. I told him, I said, man, I, I hope and I pray regularly that the Lord would heal you, but I can't wait for the day that I know is certain you and I are going to be jumping in a mosh pit of praise together towards our God, singing praise and worship. You say, I want that to fill your heart. Fill your heart. The ransomed and the redeemed will be made whole. Our bodies will be made whole. This is awesome. You realize if you're in here and you're in the medical profession, you're, you're going to be like me when we get to heaven, unemployed, right? No job for you. No job for me. Your job is to make people better. They're already better. My job is to tell them about Jesus. He's going to be right there, right? We're going to be, I take up farming. I don't know what we're going to do. What's the beauty of heaven? I can't wait for it. See, here at Christmas, we praise God who has created this eternity where we will experience a redeemed nature, redeemed bodies, and then what verses 8 through 10 get to is redeemed souls. Listen to this. A road will be there and a way. It'll be called the holy way. The unclean will not, tra- will not travel on it, but it will be for the one who walks the path. Fools will not wander on it. There will be no lion there. No vicious beast will go up on it. They will not be found there. But the redeemed will walk on it. And the ransomed of the Lord will return and come to Zion with singing crowned with unending joy. Joy and gladness will overtake them and sorrow and sighing will flee. It'll flee. Y'all, John 14, 6, what does Jesus call himself? He's picking up on Isaiah, the way, the truth, and the life. He's picking up on this language and saying this, and in heaven there will be a holy way. We'll actually see it. The ones walking on it are the ones made holy by the Holy One. It's our path to Zion. First Peter 5, 8 calls Satan a roaring lion looking for someone to devour, but that lion is going to be gone. We have to be warned about that lion and guard one another against that lion here on this side of eternity, but not on that day. He'll be gone. No vicious beast on this path. No, on this elevated highway, it makes me think of, if you've ever been to New York City, there's something called the High Line. It's just this little walkway in downtown Manhattan, and it's got you know, lots of flowers, sits above the city streets, and greenery everywhere. It's pretty, but you gotta get to it, which means you gotta go through the mess of Manhattan to get there, right? Prettiest thing I can think of still falls way short. But on this path, the ransomed and redeemed, we're gonna sing with unending joy. In fact... <laughs> You're going to be overtaken by it. Sorrow and sighing are going to run away. Y'all, we have no shortage of sorrow and sighing in this life. We all carry it with us. Sighing is the physical expression of the disappointment in the heart, right? That's been a lot of my body posture over the past few weeks. I've been dealing with a lot of loss, 
including even this week. And it's true for everyone who has lost anyone, everyone who goes through difficulty and just feels a little bit overwhelmed by it. You're like, come on, man. Really? It's that sighing that happens, that disappointment. And what Isaiah 35 was here for me just this week in God's timing, it's here for you this morning, is to say that right there will run away from you because the things that lead you there will be gone. They'll be gone. All that will be there will be full hearts and all the wrongs will be made right. Right, y'all know there's this, uh, there's this song. Um, I'm in a song mood because it's Christmas time, okay? And so I got my Christmas playlist going on, and there's one that's called Please Come Home for Christmas. It's a like, classic on all the stations. It's playing as I was writing this section, and it concludes that if you do come home for Christmas, there will be no more sorrow, no more grief, nor pain, and I'll be happy once again. I guess they were trying to make it rhyme or whatever, right? <laughs> Beautiful, timeless classic, completely wrong completely wrong. Because if you come home for Christmas, you bring in all your problems with you. And I've still got my problems here, right? Yes, it'll be a little bit better, but eventually sorrow and sighing are going to come back. My hope is instead when we, the ransomed and redeemed, return to Zion, then no more sorrow, no more grief, no more pain, and I'll be joyful forevermore. That's where we're going. Who are we? We're the ransomed and redeemed. Where are we going? A glorious eternity in the presence of God the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. So what's left is what we're to do until we get there. Third part of our sermon. I want to go back to verses 3 and 4. This is your assignment, my assignment, till that day. He says, strengthen the weak hands, steady the shaky knees. Say to those with anxious hearts, be strong, do not fear. Here is your God. Vengeance is coming. God's retribution is coming. He will save you. What are we to do until we get there? We're to courageously walk ahead together. Strengthen the weak hands, steady the shaking. These are, this is a call to courage in the midst of a battle where fear can reign really large. Y'all, I know fear all too well. It is maybe the most familiar foe, the most familiar weapon of the enemy against me in my life. I've battled it my whole life, so nothing I'm about to say do I say lightly. I think because I'm acquainted with tragedy, sickness, and death, and loss, and conflict, and sin, I can let fear take over, and I can just worst case scenario myself. I caught myself doing it yesterday just worst case scenarioing something as simple as, man, I haven't heard from Courtney for a while. She's been gone for a couple of hours. I'll give her a call. Oh, she didn't pick up her phone. Uh Uh-oh. And then I start going, you know what I didn't think? I didn't think, oh man, she must have won the lottery and is down at the bank collecting her winnings or wherever you collect the lottery. I didn't even know she played, you know, that kind of thing. Like I didn't have it, wasn't excited. It was, oh, what's the worst that could have possibly happened? That's the weapon of the enemy, fear. Right? And in light of, Isaiah saying, in light of your identity as ransomed and redeemed, in light of where you're going, that is secured for you and can never be taken away, a glorious eternity in heaven, the call put forward to us in Christ is just be strong and do not fear. And then he says, say that to others. Say it to others with anxious hearts. Encourage, instill, put courage into the hearts of one another. This is a big point. 
Because temptation to fear all around us in our world could so easily seep in here to the church. Fear is the outworking of insecurity. Because I don't know how something's going to turn out, my response could be fear. I'm uncertain, and my uncertainty creates insecurity. And Isaiah is saying, no, 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 don't fear. Here's your God. It's just like Joshua said to Israel, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Don't be discouraged. Why? Because the Lord, your God, will be with you wherever you go. It's like Elisha said to his servant, they're surrounded by an army, but Elisha sees the greater army of God around them, and he says, don't be afraid, for those who are with us outnumber those who are with them. The psalmist says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they come for me. The psalmist says in Psalm 27, the Lord is the one who's my light and salvation. Whom shall I fear? Of whom shall I be afraid? The psalmist says in Psalm 118, the Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? The angels on the hillside say to the shepherds, don't be afraid. For look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Jesus in Matthew 10, he's sending out his disciples to spread the good news of the gospel. They're going to be arrested. They're going to be called into court. And what does he say? When they hand you over, don't worry. Don't be afraid about what you're to speak. For you will be given what to say at that hour because it's not you speaking. It's the spirit of your father who's with you who is speaking through you. And Paul says to young Pastor Timothy, in danger of feeling underqualified for the assignment placed on him, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. Paul says to the Philippian church, the ransomed and redeemed in Philippi, rejoice in the Lord always. In the midst of all the fear of all the things they're going through, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. So don't worry about anything. But in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which passes, surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Don't fear. You know, Hebrews 12 uses Isaiah's words to say, run with endurance. Strengthen your tired hands and weak knees and run with endurance the race before you. Fixing your eyes on Jesus. Run. Get up. Get up off your mat and walk. Brothers and sisters, as your pastor, I'm committed to call you to obey Jesus even when it's hard or uncomfortable, you've had a bad week, and the world is against you. I'm going to call you to take steps in following Jesus to stand up, to strengthen your tired hands and weak knees. I'm going to try to stoke the fire of faith in your heart, and I'm going to tell you to stand again. Because this way of this life that we have, just being on earth, living, growing up, being an adult, has a way of tiring us. But in God's strength, not in your own strength, in his strength, because he is with you, which is the testimony of scripture. He is with you so you can get up. The Christian life, empowered by God. Paul says it this way, it's 2 Corinthians 4. Now we have this treasure in clay jars, so that this extraordinary power may be from God, not from us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not 
destroyed. I'm trying to give you an overwhelming amount of texts right here to say, yes, life is hard. Yes, you're going to get knocked down. But in the power of the Spirit of God, you can stand back up and walk. Not in pride, not in ego, not even in your own strength. You walk in the strength of the one who has ransomed and redeemed you. You fix your eyes on the eternal glory that waits for you as you walk in his strength, and you just take the next step. Humbly, but courageously, you take the next step. Maybe it's the step of patience with your child again. Choosing to forgive your roommate again. Choosing not to give up on your spouse even though they let you down again. Choosing God's love for the hurting. Choosing God's love for all peoples. Choosing hope in your sadness. Choosing to step out of your home and step out and open up your home to your neighbor and build a friendship in hopes they can hear the gospel one day. All of those things filled with fear, filled with the prospect of disappointment. But do not be afraid, for the Lord your God is with you. You are ransomed and redeemed. You have eternity waiting for you and the Spirit of God with you until you get there. We must not walk in fear, but in the perfect love of God that casts out fear. Y'all, we have a mission and a limited time on this earth to carry it out. You're not promised tomorrow, but that shouldn't make us afraid because while I'm not promised tomorrow, I am promised eternity. That's my story, ransomed and redeemed, secured by Christ, headed towards a glorious eternity. Jesus saved me. The Spirit is with me. Heaven awaits me. That's my story. And in a world with people, filled with people searching for their story, that can be their story too. You know, we're going to take communion together here after, um, after I close. And I was thinking about the, um, both the song that we sang before communion, and there's a tradition that the Jewish community um, cites every year. The song we sang earlier, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and Ransom, Captive, Israel. God with us, God come. And then we turn around in the same, the next stanza we say, rejoice, rejoice, because of how certain it is that Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. So we're longing, O come, O come, but we're longing in this certain hope, rejoice, rejoice, because he will come. There's a, um, there's a tradition that the Jewish community has at the end of their Passover Seder. They recite the phrase, Lashana Habayah Be'erushalayim. It means the very end of this whole, whole big meal, they say, it, what they're saying is next year in Jerusalem. It's a statement of hope. Maybe next year, God will rebuild Jerusalem and return it to them. Today, we're taking communion, our sacred meal that Christ gave us to remind one another to speak to the anxious heart the promise of God that we are ransomed and redeemed and that one day we will eat with him in glory until he comes back. One day, Revelation 19.9 will be our reality. We'll be at the wedding feast with the groom and the bride, his church, will sit there together with him. And as you take this meal today, let's take it as the ransomed and redeemed, confidently, hopefully awaiting the day when we're gonna eat around the table all of us with our Savior. And in the meantime, we say to one another, maybe next year, maybe next year in heaven, maybe next time. And we await and we rejoice until that day because our Savior will come to us. He will come to us. Let me pray for you.
Father, thank you for the hope of heaven, the security of our identity in Christ, the assignment to not be afraid, but instead to walk with courage and encourage one another in our hope. I pray that that would be the the spirit and attitude of our church here, our local body. As we take the next couple of weeks, we're preparing our hearts for Christmas Day, the celebration of the Savior. God, would we be a people who is best this side of eternity through the power of your spirit, be on earth here as it is in heaven, be ones filled with joy and gladness because sorrow and sighing, we know it's going to flee. So we pray that the Spirit would begin to allow us to live some of that here in this day. Thank you for where that has been the case. Thank you for filling our grief with hope. Thank you for filling our days, even the monotonous ones, with hope. Thank you for your grace on us. Thank you for the hope of heaven. We love you. We commit this time as we go to the table. We commit it to you. In Christ's holy name, amen.